Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 364. This program is dedicated in loving memory of Toiv ben Aaron Hakoyen Moscovici, whose yurtzeit is today the 16th of Menachem Ov. We're moving now from the saddest nine days of the year, which concluded with Tisha B'Av last week, into the elevation that follows. As the Arizal explains, Chamisha Asr which was just yesterday, the 15th of this month, is unique among all 15ths of months because it's the full moon, the first full moon following the Begam Halavana, the wound, injured, the scarred moon, Malchus, dignity, which is personified by Tishabov. So when the moon becomes full, it comforts us and it reflects the elevation of Malchus. The Levana is Malchus. In, in our personal lives, it's the dignity of a human being, the dignity of a Jew, the dignity of Malchus that each of us is unique, is like a king and a queen in our own domain, meant to really elicit from us the divine image and the divine soul that lies embedded in each person. The Churban Beis Amigdash, the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, in a sense, scarred, wounded that Malchus on all levels, including in each one of us. And Chamish Asabav, the 15th of Av, is the Aliyah, the elevation that comes after the descent where the moon is full and it reaffirms that not all is lost, God forbid, and that we will rebuild and we do rebuild as we see in Jewish history, both individually and collectively. So we just coming from the 15th of Av, Shabbos Nachmu, the first Shabbos of the seven, Shiva de Nechemta, the seven weeks, which will conclude the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah, seven weeks of comfort. And this is comfort not just about memories of what happened, but it comforts us, each one of us, in our lives today. Whatever we're going through, whatever challenges, whatever difficulties, losses, tragedies that we've experienced, Hashem Yishmar Devisha should protect us all. But even if something like that has happened, there's a nechama. And a comfort isn't just soothing the wound, but also giving us strength to get through it and continue to grow. And that's what we're coming from. We're on the 16th of Av. This week is also Chafav, which is the yard site of Rabbi Levi Yitzchok, the Rebbe's father, passed away in Tovshin Dalad. And it's also the week of Pashas Ekev. We read Pashas Ekev, which will be the second of the Shiva de Nechemtim, of the seven weeks of comfort. In the spirit of Chassidus Applied, we look to apply all of this based on Chassidus, based on the Maimorim, the Sichas, the letters, the directives of the Rabbeim to our personal, psychological, and emotional lives. Okay, so with that, since I mentioned Chamisha Asabav, let me just talk a bit about that, as well as Nachamu, and then we'll move to Chafav. There was some follow-up questions regarding Nachamu. One person writes, if God made promises to Avram, to Abraham, that he would always be with us and support and protect us, why do we need a Shabbos Nachamu? Are there times God turns his back on us and then feels bad afterwards so he has to console us? 
Or is God just trying to keep us on a short leash? It seems that way. Well, neither is the fact. Obviously, I mean, the question can be asked about every blessing that we receive and every positive statement made in the Torah. Once God promised Avraham Avinu and Yitzchak and Yaakov certain promises, why do you have to continue to promise again and again? So the basic answer across the board is that on the contrary, the more promises, the better. Life is difficult, as we all know. Living in this world, in Elam Azeh, Gashmi Vachumri, in this material and coarse world, which is, as he says in Tanya, Moliklipas Vesitra Achre, filled with all types of distractions and coverings and concealments, to the point that it's the shame gave him by the wicked dominate and can prosper, the good people can suffer. It's a world that's a difficult world, and we need that raya from Tanya, just look around. Not an easy world, especially in Golos. So every promise we can get, we take. So the more we get from Hashem, the question would be, why doesn't He give us more promises? Not sure why, would, why you would ask that question. The bottom line is, every promise delivers another piece of strength. It's just like saying when somebody's in a state where they need help or support, so you don't just say, okay, I'll give you support, and then I don't have to tell it to you again because I already told it to you last time. I love you, I don't have to repeat it again. I told it to you, why don't you rely on what I said a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. So this is a constant relationship between God and the people. It's a continuous partnership. And just as we have to constantly renew our commitment, Hashem renews His commitment. This explains in general all what, what Shabbos is, what Yom Tov is, and every year another Yom Tov, and Rosh Hashanah will come again. You could say we already received it once, the renewal, renewal of the contract. But no, every year we want to renew the contract in a deeper way. And the same thing every week, Shabbos, the worlds are elevated and we're elevated again. It's not a repeat, it's on a higher level, in a deeper dimension. So in real relationships, the, real relationships are dynamic. They're constantly in flux and constantly in movement. And there's always the ongoing commitment, both partners, in this case, the Ebrishta and us. So in addition to what happened to Avraham Avinu, in addition to all the other promises we received, then comes, unfortunately, the tragedies that had happened on Tishabov. So the Ebrishta now comes and com- comforts. Nachmu, Nachmu, He sends his uh, prophet and says, console, comfort, twice, comfort, comfort my people, my nation. Speak to the heart of Yerushalayim. Since we're already mentioning it, the heart of Yerushalayim. Speak to the heart. It's not just enough to speak to Yerushalayim. A lesson, a tremendous lesson in life that when you comfort someone, it's not just words, even their sincere words, but it's not just words, it's also speak to their heart. Find a way, words from the heart enter the heart. Like a face is reflected in water, a heart is reflected in another. So all that is part of the process of healing and how we comfort one another. And this is, and this is the general statement. And more specifically, each promise that God gives us, each comfort is fitting and commensurate to the issues that are being addressed. In this case, we're talking about Nechama, Shiva de Nechemta after Tlosa de Poronisa, after the three weeks of affliction, we get seven weeks of comfort. 
It's interesting, three, seven, they add up to ten. Yes, and it's explained the three is Chabad, as the Rabbi Hillel explains that the three Chabad is because God is, go- is concealing his revelation, like the teacher who goes deeper into his Chabad in order to reveal a greater revelation to the student. But from the student's perspective, it's a concealment. And then it, continu- it begins the Amshacha, the seven weeks, and the Shiva Midas, the seven motion- emotions that draw down and reveal this deeper revelation. Leading into the two weeks, the the Gemara continues, the two weeks of Tshuva, which is the two weeks after the seven of comfort, where we say Haftar is connected to Tshuva, around Rosh Hashanah, to Yom Kippur, Shabbat Tshuva, and so on. So, um, that is the significance of Nachamu. The 15th of Av, a question came this way. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, Regards from uh, Pennsylvania. Can you please explain why the 15th of Av was a big joyous holiday in the times of the temple and why it's no longer observed today? It says in the Talmud that when the month of Av, another question, it says in the Talmud that when the month of Av comes in, we just, we must diminish in joy. So therefore, why was the joyous holiday of the 15th of Av held in the month of Av? Maybe it should have been postponed until Elul. Okay. Well, regarding the first question, uh, there are many things that were in the time of the Beis Amidus that do not continue. Begashmias. The time of the Beis Amidus, the Gemara explains why the 15th of Av was such a holiday. So there's different explanations uh, the Gemara and Tainus at the end. And one of them is actually connected directly to the Beis Amidus. Yom Taber Magos, the day when they broke the axe. The axe they would use to cut the wood that was used in the Beis Amidus, they stopped cutting the wood because in the summer... So the 15th of Av that is the, signifies the day when the nights begin to become longer and the, and the day is shorter. The sun, the more it shines, the more the wood was dried and therefore perfect. And the, and the eliminating worms or other things that would not allow the, the wood in the base. I mean, it's to burn smoothly. smoothly. So the 15th of Av was designated as, as the day when they stopped cutting the wood. So that became a holiday in that sense. That's the Rebbe cites very often. That's why after Tuba of, as the nights get longer, slowly get longer, and the night is created in order to learn, that we should start learning more Teda every day, every night, from Tuba of and on. So that explains very specifically why it's connected to the Beis Amigdash. But even the other reasons were also regarding the different things with the Shvatim. This is the day when uh, they determined the different Yichus, when they clarified who came from which Shevet, Many of these things are not relevant today because they're only applicable time of the Beis Hamidrash. But that's the Gashmi's part of it, the physical. The spiritual part is absolutely relevant. As I quoted from the Rizal, the Rebbe discussed this every year, literally, a tuba of, especially in the later years, the elevation that comes after Tisha B'Av, that happens every year. Like it is with many things that when the time of the Beis Hamidrash was done physically, very thing, like carbonus offerings. Today we don't have physical offerings. So we have tefillahs became carbonus tikkun. We have prayer. Everything that was then is also here today. The question is whether it's physical or it's spiritual. And the spiritual significance of the 15th of Av we discussed this week and last week. Regarding the second question, this is exactly the point. You don't want to Ba'av and El. You want in the month of Av, in the month of pain and loss, that's where you want transformation. So specifically, the 15th of the month, the full moon of Av, which will then lead 
two weeks later into El and the rest of the elevations that come in the month of El. But this is exactly, precisely why it's in the, in the 15th of Av. A few more questions. Why is the focus of Tisha B'Av on the 9th of Av on the destruction of the Beis HaMedish? What about the millions that were killed during that time of the destruction of the Second Temple? Why don't we speak about what the Jewish people were going through at that time? I've heard that more hidden, more Yidin died in the destruction of the Beis Amigos than in the Holocaust. First of all, destruction of the Beis Amigos is not the only thing we talk about. If you'll read Kinus that we say, the sad Kinus and the Lamentations, the Book of Lamentations, Echa, actually begins... Eicha Yoshva Bodod. Yerushalayim is sitting alone. It's not even talking about the base of Megdish yet. Yerushalayim is alone. And then it continues to talk about the people that resided there. So throughout Tisha B'Av, we're constantly remembering everything that happened. The destruction of the base of Megdish is used as the key thing because that's where it all rooted. God's presence on earth. When God's presence in the physical base of Megdish is complete, that seamless connection protects us from everything else. Once that is breached and that is destroyed, everything else followed. So the tragedy is the whole picture. What happened to the Beis Amigdash? What happened to the people? What happened to the very, the Golos? The Pnei Chateinu Golinu Maratzeinu. That we were exiled physically and also most importantly spiritually, displaced from the natural environment of being a channel a dwelling place for the divine in this, in this world. So Tisha B'Av captures all of that. And of course the Aliyah that comes afterwards also captures that. That's why the full moon of Tu B'Av and all the elevations that follow are again not just purely about the Beis Amidosh, by Beis Amidosh and extends to the Beis Amidosh inside each of us. It extends into the Malchus of each human being and all of us, put the, and all of us as a collective whole as we stand together. Okay. How can we say in Shemineshah and Tishabov the original Nachim, which includes words that seem not applicable today? Factual words that Yerushalayim is empty and the like. It's very hard to push in the meaning that it's talking about spiritual emptiness, as even in that realm, there's so much now in Yerushalayim. I don't have the Nusrach in front of me as I'm tr- typing this, but saying it today and thinking about the words made me feel uncomfortable. Can you please look at this tefillah and address that? I'm not sure why you're saying that it can be applied spiritually. As a matter of fact, in spiritual emptiness, it's even more applicable. Regardless of what's going on in Yerushalayim today, yes, you can have malls and restaurants and people, and, uh, people milling about. And there's a lot of energy and bustling energy. When we're talking about, when we say, even the Jews in Israel say that prayer on Yom Tov in Musaf. Because Galinim Artsenu, as I just said, mentioned before, is not just a physical exile. It's not just banished from the land of Israel. It's banished from the spirit of Israel. So you can be in Eretz you can be by the Kaisal and be in Golis. So Golis is a deeper thing. The Nachim that we say in Tishabov, which Arizal, as I discussed last week, actually says that's because birth of Mashiach at that moment in that Tisha B'Av afternoon when the flames were at the highest, is refers to all forms of destruction. Yerushalayim 
the holy city of Yerushalayim, the Beis Amidash, are obviously the symbol, the physical symbol of it all. And it begins because you want to have it in this physical world, we want that connection. But every word there can be and is explained in a spiritual way. I'm not sure why you're saying it's forced. It's just as forced as saying that Philosbim came Karbonus Tikrim. That we don't have offerings and Avaita today is through Davening. Chazal tell us that's exactly how it is. As a matter of fact, everything begins first. Medaberes Belyenim and Medamezes Betachtenim. First, the Torah speaks in the spiritual realms and then it applies it into the physical realms. So all that is absolutely applicable. Since this question was asked, the question came, this question also had a follow-up, which is not relevant to this, but I've decided that you know, I'll address it. And maybe in the same context, can you please address other such seemingly inaccuracies? It's not my word, this is a writer's word, and I would correct it. It's not inaccuracies, these are accuracies, you just, just have to know how to understand them. Imreku mikemhu, we're told. If we don't understand it, it's not inaccurate, it means that we are lacking something. So, and to please address some other ways of understanding, such as in Birchus Hamozen, in Grace After the Meals. In Nusr Chabad, we say, Rachman hu yevorech es avi meri balabayas hazeh. Hashem should bless Avi, my father, the balabayas, the owner, the host of this home. In, and we say that in all locations, not only while sitting in our father's actual home. So there too, the answer is quite straightforward. Even when you're eating elsewhere, you still have a father. And even people physically don't have a father, you still have a father in heaven. Well, the Ebrister, but also your father always remains your father. That's why during the Firkashas we say, Tate, well, but the Freg the Firkashas. Even when we're not even at our father's table, or even when our father is not physically here in this earth. Because we always remain connected to our father. Father is, represents more than just sitting at the table. The Torah and its, and its tzitfilis and all of the yukim and every verse is precise. So when it says things, it's trying to evoke. Why do we say that? So besides gratitude, which is the obvious reason. We're, grat- we're saying thank you to our father, to our mother, to our, our parents, to the people who provide for us. But you're also acknowledging the blessings in your life that come through your parents. And those blessings continue even if they're not sitting with you physically. They give birth to you. And those parents thank their parents. And this is how we connect generation to generation. And this remains with us. We call the Ovis. We say, we say, even though they're long not here physically in this world, they continue to be our patriarchs. They continue to sustain us. They continue to bless us. So no matter where we are, we say this prayer in this, in this context. Okay. Let me now go back since this week is Chafov. So let's talk about Chafov now and Parsha Sekev. So Chafov, as I said, is the yard site of the, it's the 77th yard site of, of Levi Yitzchak, who was himself a great grandson of the Samach Tzedek, father of the Rebbe. Earlier on, they didn't know that he passed away in Almata, where he's interred, in, interred and where he is, <laughs> where he's buried. That's where the Tzion is. And um, at the time, they didn't know it was Chafov. There were questions when exactly was the Yotzeit, but then they found out. For the Rebbe was always, you saw, a deeply personal and emotional thing. His father, he was not able to be Kabe Desavicho. 
for so many years, physically speaking. You see the same with um, Yosef and, and Yaakov. Yosef was away from Yaakov. So he was able to perform that great mitzvah. But it's more than just the mitzvah, it's the connection. And you could see how the Rebbe honored and really would do anything for anyone that did even one favor or in some way served him, brought him some food, helped him in any way. The Rebbe felt indebted forever to, that, to these people. And we saw this all the time, different individuals. The door was always open for what they did for the Rebbe's father. You have to remember Chafav, Tovshin Dalit, when he passed away, the Rebbe was already in the United States of America. He probably, the last time he saw his father could not have been before, uh, after 1927. Tovrish Pei Zayin was when the Rebbe left Russia together with the Friedrich Rebbe. So we're talking now 1927. Uh, so when the Rebbe saw his father last, we can't really know exactly. It was definitely in the 20s at some point because he came to the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe, 1923. But regardless, we're talking about from 1927 till Tav Shindalad, it was 1944. You're talking about uh, a good 17 years. The Rebbe would reunite with his mother in Tav Shinzayin. She came out of Russia. The Rebbe went to France to greet her and bring her back to America. So the connection of the Rebbe and the Rebbe's father, the connection of any child and a father, especially a Rebbe and his father, especially under these circumstances, carries a lot of deep meaning and, re- and, and significance to us. As our Rebbe, we look at the Rebbe, we look at the Rebbe's honoring his father. Not just davening, the Amit Chafav, but also the Fabrengans, the Siyumim, which was always a, uh, a hallmark, a key part of the Fabrengans and Chafav. Talking about even Chafav before the Rebbe became Rebbe, we have a Siyum HaMesech in Tavshin, uh, I believe it's in Tavshin uh, Vov, or Tavshin, yeah, those early years, the Rebbe said Ahadrin, and so every year. So there is the, the personal connection. On a deeper level, when the Rebbe's father's manuscripts and writings, and we know there was a real lot more than we have, began coming out, the Rebbe Tzachana, who was Moshe Nefesh, as the Rebbe said many times, she didn't have anything to write with. It didn't have ink. She would take different herbs and different plants and turn them into different ink. And we can see it actually on the gloss that he wrote on Zoyar and on Tanya. You could see different colors, red, green, blue, strange colors. It came from these different inks that his Rebbe Tzachana made. And when they began coming out of Russia, which was a whole story of its own, and the Rebbe first saw them the first time, the early 60s, the Rebbe began, besides the value and publishing them all, the Rebbe began to explain them. Every Shabbos, the Fabrengen, just like there was a Rashi and a Pirkeyovus, and later years Rambam, he would also explain his father's notes. First, the Rebbe talked about his father's notes on Tanya and Geras Achuva, and then Tanya in general. And then the Rebbe's father's notes on Zohar. Every week, there was a schedule right after the Rashi questions the Rebbe would ask on Rashi. After the Mimer, he would, after the Mimer, the Rebbe asked questions on Rashi. Then he would ask questions on his father's notes and then explain it. Very often would say that my father, because of the limited time he had, the limited space, he didn't write everything. He relied that we would understand the lessons in Avedis Hashem and other details. 
So we have now volumes. We have four main volumes of the Rabbi Levi Yitzchok's Teda. Two volumes on Zoyar. We have the volume on, of letters that he wrote to the Rebbe, many letters, as well as his Teda on Chazal, on, on a different um, psukim, and primarily Chazal. So there's on Zoyar, Chazal, and Mamari Chazal, and the Gemara. Later years, there were found new manuscripts here and there, so they would publish them as separate entities. And then, of course, the Rebbe's explanations on all of this, which is its own uh, series of, of talks that we have. So let's. So someone asks the question, what's the Rebbe's father's most famous Torah? It's very hard to answer that question. It's like asking, what's the Rebbe's most famous Torah? I can't really answer the question most famous. I'll share a few that come to mind. One that I always was very, <laughs> it's a short vort, but it comes from Levi Yitzchak. When we say in, uh, in, uh, on Shemini Yatzeres and, and, and on um, Pesach, we say, L'chaim v'loi l'movis, when we talk about the Tfilis Tal, Tfilis Geshem. L'chaim v'loi l'movis, on the rain. So L'chaim v'loi l'movis, that's what Levi Yitzchak. Once you say L'chaim to life, why do you have to say not to the opposite of life? That's what Chaim is. Say L'chaim, that's it. So Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, and if I bring him one said, if I bring then said, because you can be, you can be in Leila Mavis, a person can be not physically dead, God forbid, but, they could, but they're also not fully alive. So L'chaim Leila Mavis means not just not to be dead, not to be a total zombie or a vegetable, I mean, in the spiritual sense of the word, but L'chaim means more than, in other words, life is more than just the absence of death. Just like love is more than the absence of hate, and shalom, peace, is more than the absence of war. I'm adding that. I believe Yitzhak didn't say that. It's a powerful vart. Talks, talks about, in other words, how to live the fullest life possible. And not just a life of, that you're around biologically surviving, but also true life. Another tater that comes to mind that may be, again, maybe the most famous simply because it's most published, is the one that the Rebbe cites in the Haggadah, Haggadah of Pesach, the Rebbe's notes and the Rebbe's Haggadah where he, his commentary on the Haggadah. So right in the beginning, in a similar way, not the first thing the Rebbe writes, like Rashi writes, Omer Rabbi Yitzchok, which hints to his father, but the Rebbe does talk about his father in Kadesh Urchat, right in the beginning of the Simonim. There's 15 Simonim, the 15 steps of the Haggadah. And the Rebbe brings Kadesh Urchatz, why of all the 15, there's only one where you have a Vav, Kadesh Urchatz. You don't say Kadesh Rechatz. Like the others, you say Karpas Yachatz, Magid, and then the, the rest of them, Magid, and then Moitzi You don't have a Vav anywhere, a Vav that connects. There are 15 separate steps. But by Kadesh Urchatz, there's a Vav. And the Rebbe adds another question that his father he says, I heard from my father, that these, the only two that in the language of a tzivui, a command, not a sipur dvarim. The others are telling you what's happening as if it's a narrative. Kaddish Rechatz says, Kaddish, sanctify yourself. Or Rechatz, wash. Like later, Rochza doesn't say wash. Rochza means washing. And the Rebbe explained the name of his father. He says, I heard from my father, al derech hasod that Kaddish Rechatz, Kaddish goes on Chochmah, Rechatz goes on Bina, Kedusha, Havdola, which means separate, Kedusha, Kedush, is Chochmah, the Bina goes on Tare, Rechitza, to wash, and cleanse, 
In Kabbalah it says that the Kaddish goes on the three Gimel Rishenis of Chachma, meaning Chachma Bina Das in Chachma or Keser Chachma Bina in Chachma. And, da, and Bina is the Dal Rishenis of Bina, which is the four Keser Chachma Bina and Das within Bina itself, or not Das. It says the Dal Rishenis of, of, of Bina probably means Keser Chachma Bina Chesed maybe. And he says these two levels of Kaddish Erechatz were not affected by Shvira Sakelim, by the, the shattering of the containers, because they're in a high spiritual level. And that's why, because they're protected by Atik. Atik is a level, the highest level of Kesa. And that's why it says Kaddish Erechatz together, in the, in the language of a command. Because it's saying, it's commanding us, telling us, take these first Kaddish Erechatz, the sanctity and the purity of Chochmah and Bina together and make sure that you draw them now into the other 13 lower steps, next steps of the Haggadah. So essentially it's like taking these higher, two higher levels, they come together, Chochmah and Bina, and Kaddish Urchatz, the sanctity and the purity, and, and draw them down into the other 13 which come after Kaddish Urchatz. Karpas, Yachatz, and Magid, Meitzimatz, and so on. So, that's a word that he brings there, which of course its lesson is quite clear as well. In our lives we have things that are broken, and we have things that are never broken. You want to be able to draw from the non-broken part within our souls, within the higher levels, into the rest of our lives. So even the areas that are subject to, or vulnerable, to breaks, and the trauma and the losses are also elevated. The Rebbe doesn't say this part, I'm just applying that. Okay. Later in this program, at the end, by talk about the Chassidus question, we're going to discuss what was the contribution of Rabbi Levi Yitzchok to Chassidus, because the Rebbe, in the later years, began to also cite Rabbi Levi Yitzchok's status, even in the Maimor Chassidus that he said, when the Rebbe would speak all the Maimor, in a Maimor, and he would bring all the Rabbeim, and quite a few my morning, Basiligani for sure, and others as well, he also would bring his father's tatus. So what does that contribute? We'll discuss that later. Did the Rebbe ever comment about the Mogan David on his father's Matseva? That although it might not be our custom to put on a Matseva, on a tombstone, but since someone made it, we should keep it there and not remove it. I did not hear something directly. I recall something vaguely that they asked the Rebbe, but it was made that way and it was never touched. That doesn't say anywhere that a Mogan Dovid is a bad thing. The reasons, I mean, as a matter of fact, we always used to hear that the Rebbe had written some long essay on what a Mogan Dovid is, its roots, and where it originates from. And never was found, so I don't even know if it's a true rumor or not. But regardless, a Mogan David has its symbolism, and it's used in many halachic locations and so on. So I never heard that the Rebbe in any way suggested or was suggested to the Rebbe to remove it. Um, but I will do more research, and maybe if any of you have heard something about this, it would be very interesting. I'll be happy to... Share it if you write to, to us. And here's a good opportunity. Go to chassidusapply.com. There's a forum there where you could submit any question completely anonymously as well as any information that I could use to be able to share with others. 
So that is what I know about this topic, or what I don't know, I should say. Okay. On a practical level, to, co to, to, to bring out the lessons to us, Rabbi Levi Yitzchok, being an extension, first of all, uh, coming from the Samach Tzedek, and being an extension to us, relevant to us through the Rebbe, Rabbi Levi Yitzchok plays an important role. Chafav is a day of taking on achlotis. Rebbe writes that it's his chus, that on this day, to, to inspire us and to request that we learn the Torah of Rabbi Yitzchok. Rebbe also mentions that Chafav is 40 days from Rosh Hashanah, before Rosh Hashanah. And based on the Gemara, Arboim Yeim Kedem, before 40 days before a child is born, you're already machriz and they already announce different things about this child. So 40 days before Rosh Hashanah, before the rebirth of the world, is a significant day where you begin to prepare, especially as we follow from the 15th of Av, and it's moving into Elul, days of beginning of the preparation to the month of Elul, and the request of the Rebbe to add in Teira Avedig Mils Chasodim, connection with the Schus of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak and Chof of. Learning his Teira, of course, we have today, as I said, his Svarim, we also have the Rebbe's explanations, so it's not a difficult thing to do. And that's one of the ways we honor. The Rebbe also established the Feris Skenim Levi Yitzchak in Tov Shem 1982. He established in the most Chabad houses, if not all have, that special, that special organization dedicated to creating a Kailal for people who are already not working or not working full time to learn Teirah, to Feris Skenim Levi Yitzchak in the Rebbe's father's name. And... Um, and, and many other things, as I said, the Rebbe would make siyumim and chofav. So siyum was always part of learning teda, siyum and gemara, siyum and which is the custom to do on a yard site. And of course, above all, the iskashus, the connection that we have to the Rebbe, and by extension to the Rebbe's father, and also the lessons of Kibbut Av that we saw, the tremendous lengths the Rebbe went to. We saw the Rebbe's mother every day visiting her, but also now the Rebbe honors his father through the people that had did anything for his father, even one little thing, became a major, a major contribution, and the Rebbe always honored that. So we know the lessons from that to honor our own parents. Okay. <clears throat> lessons from Pasha's Ekev. What does Ekev mean, and which mitzvahs fall into this category? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, Please help me reconcile something I've been thinking about. The Ten Commandments were given separately because they are the most important commandments, and we've been taught that within those ten, they are the source of all the 613, as I discussed actually last week in episode 363. I've also been taught that an explanation for the Posuk Vayyei Ekev, Tishmun, is this. Since Ekev means a heel, Ekev also comes from the word Ekev, a heel, the lowest part of the body, it's an illusion that the lesser publicized and easier and simple commandments are just as important as all the others and must also be obeyed with the same diligence. My issue is, it doesn't reveal anywhere exactly what these lower commandments are. And also, wouldn't it have made sense that just as we were given a tenth commandment, ten commandments of the ten most important, we should also have been given a separate ten commandments of the Akevs so we can know which they are and that they are also important to emphasize. Thank you, and may you have a week full of inspiration and good news. 
Okay, so first of all, Vahoya Ekev Tishmum, there are many different interpretations of the word Ekev. Some interpret it very simply, Vahoya Ekev Tishmum, because you have listened to God's commandments, therefore you get the brachas and the blessings that come afterwards. But Medrash mentions the word Ekev in a context that Ekev means that even the mitzvah Shadoshin Ekev, even mitzvahs that seemingly people ignore or even step on them like with a heel, which means like, like the, this person just wrote, you should also be diligent and careful with them. Chassidus brings, it's a machzadek, Ekev also from the word Ikvus of the Mashiach, the mitzvahs that are connected to Ekev, the heels of Mashiach, the times in the later days before Mashiach comes, is called Ekev, as referring to those mitzvahs. The Rebbe explained that has a connection, obviously, to the, what's Ikvus of Mashiach. It's a time when there was no divine revelation, so mitzvahs can be seen in a way almost like an ekev, like a secondary thing. In other words, in a re, we'll say the word derogatory, but ekev is not the head, but ekev is like the heel. And that too, on the contrary, doing mitzvahs, in ekev is the meshich, the mesiris nefesh, that comes from the heel, can elevate the entire body, including the head, and even higher. So there's different interpretations. It's pretty clear why the Torah would not enumerate these mitzvahs, because the people have such an attitude, the Torah is not looking to in any way, God forbid, speak about a mitzvah in a negative way. Because they're not in any, they're not lower or inferior to other mitzvahs. It's just in human mind it may be that way. They're things that we, for some reason, neglect. Or we take for granted. When you walk on something, you like take it for granted, you're walking it, you don't respect it properly. So the Torah is telling us. So the Torah to go enumerate and say, here they are, doesn't want to formalize it. That's pretty clear. But the beauty here is, like when we say in the Mishnah, that al-tehei sheikla, a person shouldn't go measure and weigh the value of mitzvahs, which is a greater. But you should be careful. In a more lenient mitzvah is in a harsher mitzvah, or a severe one. Like when we talk about, let's say, the mitzvah of, of anoichi Hashem alekecha. Well, we know there's the, 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 the prominent mitzvahs that are the foundations. So you can come to mind and think, Okay, other mitzvahs, they're not as fundamental. No, but when it comes to Ratzon Hashem, God's will, every detail is as equally powerful. Remember, in the years, in the late 60s, so Rabbi Zalman Posner used to, they did an interview on the radio that the Rebbe heard, listened to, where one of the questions asked him is, why does God really care about these, all these little details? It's one thing, the fundamental principles. So he explained it the way he explained it, and the Rebbe on Shabbos spoke about it and actually used an example from NASA, because then there was talk about there was landing on the moon and other developments, how every detail matters. You take a computer program. One dot, extra dot, or one less dot will cause the whole program not to work. In the human body, God forbid, one mutation among 75 trillion cells so details may seem not much when you look from the outside, but in the context of looking for a big picture, every detail matters. It's not about, it's not about commerce, it's not about quantity. So that's what Hoye Ekev Tishman comes to teach us. And as Ikvus is the Mashiach, even though the Neshamas may not be on the same level as in previous generations, especially earlier generations, and yet each of us has our indispensable role. To say that anything is negligible 
or less important than another is absolutely not correct. Shava, mashvakat, and vagadl. From God's perspective, everything is equally valuable. The fact that it's called mitzvah chamura or mitzvah kala is yes, because technically speaking, in Giluyim, certain mitzvahs draw down more energy than others. But in the area that each one has to play, they're completely indispensable, and every one of them needs the other. Take away one of the 613 mitzvahs, the whole building is affected. Just like if one Jew was missing at Matan Teda, Teda couldn't have been given. If one letter is missing in the whole Sefer Teda, even though you have Anoichi Hashem Elkecha, Shema Yisrael, and everything, one letter, even a letter about the story Achos and Leighton Timna, where you're talking about the family of Esav, doesn't make a difference. Every letter, one letter is missing. Even one letter is cracked, let alone missing. It's already the whole Sefer Teda is possible. Because when it comes to the big picture of things, every detail is absolutely necessary. Okay. Ekev is also the second week of, Nach- of the Shiva de Nechemta. And as the Avodraham writes in a beautiful, eloquent way, that all the seven weeks of comfort is a narrative, the narrative and dialogue between the Ebishta and the Idin. First, the Abishta says, Nachmu, Nachmu, Ami, tells the prophets, the prophet comfort the Eden. The Eden then come back and say, Why you destroyed the base of Minish? Why are you sending a messenger to comfort us? And God says, Correct. And then the fourth week, I, 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 just like Nachmu, Nachmu, double, I, I will comfort you. So we have to look at this period in time as our dialogue with God. When we are challenged, we came to from the tragedy of Surfside, which was the nine days and the three weeks, and all that came before that, all the events in the last year, two years, in general, personally or collectively. So we are now in the seven weeks where we have a dialogue with God. And it's not just about comforting, it's about growing. It's about healing. It's about mending. And ultimately, as Moshe Rabbeinu is on the mountain begging God for forgiveness for the Chet Egal and ultimately prevailing through the month of El, the compassion. All of it is a journey in the continuing narrative and dialogue between us and God, individually again and collectively, where we find opportunities now to be able to find deeper strength and also deeper healing, and ultimately the ultimate healing, the Gula Amitiz Vashlem. So it's important to keep in mind where we are, that time is energy. The energy of our time is the healing, the reconciliation, the rebuilding after scars, wounds, destruction, betrayal. This is the time we're in, so it's important to take advantage and tap into the special energy of the Shiva de Nechemta, the second week of comforting and consoling. Okay. Well, we've covered. Next question, completely from a different direction. How should we react to Ben and Jerry's boycott of Israel? Okay. Ben and Jerry's ice cream is in the news for joining the BDS movement and refusing to sell their product in Israel. Just like Haman, just like Haman thought that he had a good plan by picking the month of Adar for his plot, and he was fooled because Adar was also Moshe Rabbeinu's birth month. So the Jews really had a good mazel. 
Maybe we can say that Ben and Jerry are actually doing Israeli Jews a big favor by helping stop the spread of diabetes <laughs> from high sugar foods. Okay, the problem is there's other ice creams and other high sugar foods, but I, I understand the sentiment. My question is, has the Rebbe ever said that in the period before Mashiach's arrival, there will be such confusion that some Jews will join the side of our enemies? Another person writes, is, it a, is, is Jews turning against Jews, is that a sign of Mashiach's coming? I don't remember the Rebbe saying that. I mean, the Rebbe did say Purim Memzayin another time, Tavshim Memzayin, that when you see things that don't seem consistent and even go backwards, more darkness, even though we're closer and closer to Mashiach, that too is a sign, we see clarity, crystallized clarity. So you see people where they really are, instead of people hiding behind, and we don't know what their real intentions are, before Mashiach comes, as in the Sefer Daniel, things will become very clear. So to see an enemy is better than not to see one. Regarding Jews who are misinformed, and or worse, it's very sad, because it comes down to literally not information, buying into propaganda, buying into a, uh, a distortion and a myth of the Jewish behavior in Israel, and uh, as all these boycotts demonstrate. I mean, do they boycott the equal uh, the abuse of rights in Arab countries or in other countries? We all know the double standard, but it's very sad when you see Jews buy into it. So we all can bemoan the fact, but I think the most important thing is it puts the responsibility on us to be more proactive and more aggressive, and I mean in a good way aggressive, meaning not passive. Go out there, take initiative, proactive, to teach, to educate, to enlighten, to inspire. People don't know. There are so many myths they don't know, they simply don't know about Israel's behavior, even to their own enemies sometimes at their own detriment. And people need to be taught. And this isn't just being, being proud of Eretz Yisrael or being committed no matter what. Of course, Jews can make mistakes. Israel can make mistakes. But overall, you see the attitude. Any country has treated their own enemies this way. It's unheard of. And yet Israel is vilified. But this is a big part of the war is a propaganda war, a war of public opinion in the media, and this only teaches us how much more we have to educate. We have responsibility to teach, to inspire, and to enlighten. That's how I see it. And, um, and whether it's a sign or not a sign, at the end of the day, what action do we need to take? This is the action that we need to take. Another question. Again, unrelated. There are stories told about the Baal that he would often go into the forest to meditate and pray. My question is, is it advantageous to pray in the forest over praying inside a city? Aside from the peace and quiet in the forest and lack of city noise, distractions, is there a benefit to praying in the forest because we are surrounded by nature and we can see the world in a manner closer to the way it looked when God created it before we built up cities and turned them into concrete jungles? Concrete jungles. Thank you. Yeah, we say also that Rizal would go out into the field to greet Shabbos, L'chodedi. There's something pure about davening without human structures. 
Even though the Beis HaMikdash and the Mikdash Ma'at, which is a, temp, a synagogue, is a mini sanctuary, is created out of the materials, man-made materials. Nevertheless, we do find the idea, you feel, find it when you see the Siach Basoda, Yitzchak went out to speak in the field, to daven in the field. There's a certain connection to the natural world around us. Now, I'm not even getting into the issue where some people have told me, I remember we did a Shabbaton, camping Shabbaton, we davened outside in a tent. And there are dinim also about davening outside in a respectable way. So I remember someone telling me, it's the first time I davened in 30 years. Because their synagogue that he went to was not only empty and soulless, says it was also hurtful and abusive. I mean, it was a bad environment. Polluted was the word that he heard, said. So unfortunately, there are structures that are polluted. Sad. So just having that like a cleansing, experiencing of connecting just to nature itself, meditating around, meditating around nature has a certain power. And perhaps the Baal Shem Tov and the Arizal and others teach us that. But again, there are halachas around this as well, just for the record, about davening in an open place. You know, there's respect when you have a structure around you or something where it's confined to some extent. But the, the spirit of it makes total sense, and many of us do find that type of purity. When you get away from the city and the noise and the distractions, and in general, the man-made concrete and metal and all the buildings, as great as they may be, Look, Sukkot reminds us that it's not the buildings that give us security. It's, it's God. So even a portable shack works. So there's that element of that organic connection and holistic connection to nature that's untouched by human beings. Each person has to make a decision how that works. I see no reason why, especially in the summer when we travel, to go outside and speak to Hashem. It's beautiful. It could open up new doors. It's a, a, a type of like fresh air, a new way of doing things. But again, always know that there is also great value in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Mikdash Ma'at. It's not taking away from it. It also keeps, brings to mind the story of the Baal Shem Tev where he once went into a shul and he came running out and he said, he can't daven there, it's too packed. And they looked, the shul was pretty empty. What do you mean packed? And he said, the Zoya says, that without Ava Vayira and Kavona, a tefillah is like a bird without wings. It means it can't, it can't fly upward. The prayers are not lifted. And the shul was so filled with prayers, basically like grounded birds. So he couldn't go because he felt that, uh, that, that tension of the prayers that were grounded prayers, prayers without wings. So maybe that also has sometimes an element to be able to go out in the field, or out in the forest. And other ways of understanding how we appreciate connecting to Hashem in many, many different ways. Okay. Um, well, more questions. The questions don't stop coming. I have, to sh- I have to apologize to some of you who've written questions, and I know it takes time till I get to them. Someone just told me a few days ago, I wrote questions, and I see you didn't answer them. Now, it's not intentional. It's definitely not deliberate. It's because there's such a backup. It's hard for me to catch up. I'm not even sure how to catch up, to be honest. Maybe that alone needs a contest to figure that out. Um, but I will do a little follow-up, and then I will do the chassidus. Um, here we go. 
In last week's episode, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I watch your Sunday night podcast every week, and I wanted to comment that yesterday's, well, meaning last week's, last Tisha B'Av's edition was one of your best programs. The way you arranged all the questions into a perfect flowing essay was amazing. Thank you for all the hard work you do. It's greatly, it's greatly appreciated by people like me that live upstate in the forest and don't have access to brick and mortar synagogues to study and pray in. Very kind of you, very touching. Thank you. Rabbi, dear Rabbi Jacobson, on your Sunday night program, you read a letter and confirmed the writer's thoughts that since baseless hate destroyed the Holy Temple, that baseless love is a way to rebuild it. My question is this. In the 1960s, the essence of the hippie movement was about peace and love. Since they spent a decade promoting baseless love, wouldn't, have, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been appropriate for God to send the Mashiach then and we rebuild the base temple during that time. Well, that's an interesting question. But you can go back in history. There are many times there was baseless love. Not sure why you're choosing the 60s. Second of all, even though the Esther was, that was a beautiful aspect of the 60s, there were also other things going on that were not exactly halachically uh, aligned. So I'm not here to criticize. I'm just here to point that out. I don't know if we look at things that way. You know, whatever reasons Hashem has when he brings what, Shir didn't come then. Was there an opportunity? There was. In 1967, actually, what they called the Summer of Love, the Rebbe's Summer of Love was that we have now an opportunity to love God like never before after the Six-Day War. And now is the time. That people should come and gather and honor and love God. I once wrote an article about the summer of love in that sense. So there was definitely an opportunity. But we have to look now where we are now. What can we do to introduce more baseless love than ever before in order to finally bring the goal? Another person follow-up, Kamtsa and Bar Kamtsa. Dear Rabbi, in regards to Kamtsa and Bar Kamtsa being related father and son, which you discussed last week, please find attached the Masha al-Asar, the Masha on the Gemara in Gitin. And he does actually say, and maybe this is a father and a son, that's why Kamsa, and Bar Kamsa, the son of Kamsa, and the Shliach, who the host sent, he sent him to the wrong person, he sent him to the son, instead of to the father. In other words, he sent him to Bar Kamsa instead of Kamsa, and that caused all the problems. The Masha goes on to explain this. Thank you for that. That's a good point. I did ask, and uh, so there is about Masha, but he says Efshir, which means it's not definite, but it makes sense because that's where their names were. Okay. And it adds more to the whole drama of now being a father and son. It wasn't just two strangers. He talks about that, that he considered why, that the Shleil didn't make a full mistake. He thought maybe he can make Shalom, since he's the son of his friend, maybe he can make Shalom, which of course didn't work out exactly that way. Okay. Finally, let's do the Chassidus question. What is the Chassidus question? How should we categorize the Rebbe's father's contribution to Chassidus? We know there's the seven Rabbeim, the Alter Rebbe, Chabad, Chassidus Chabad, the nine starting from the Baal Shem Tov, Chassidus are close. Baal Shem Tov, the Magid, the Alter Rebbe, Mitle Rebbe, Tzamech Tzedek Rebbe, Marash, Rebbe Rashab, Friedrich Rebbe and our Rebbe. And that's uh, seven Rabbeim, Rebbe being Malchus, Teir Ashvi. 
And yet we see that the Rebbe did introduce his father's Torah in his Sichas, as I mentioned before, and in his Mamorim as well. And we see it's included, so-called in the canon of explaining Chassidus. It's included in many different places. So it's a good question. Now, of course, the Rebbe Chaz Rosham didn't come to add another Rebbe. Abdei Vitzel is the Rebbe's father. We don't call him a Rebbe. And yet, he was our great Chassid and, and contributed through his father. I once heard that the Rebbe Rabbi Yitzchok, that, uh, that, uh, that Rabbi Yitzchok was once for bringing. There were some chassidim who were questioning and, and making noise a bit. They were distracting him. So he said, what do they want? So someone said, they want to know what your source is. Where are you getting all of this from? And he said, everything comes from Lakut Tehra. Everything he writes comes from Lakut Tehra. Now when you look in the Tehras of Rabbi Yitzchok, it's not exactly all the Kutateta, but it could all be based on it. But that's what he said. Ishemis. So for sure, it's the Kutateta. So how do we contextualize it? It's, interest also, it's interesting also to note, and this is probably deliberate, he did not write his Teta like a Maimer. Maimorich Siddhis are written in a very specific way. And all the Rabbeim never wavered from that way. It begins with a Posik, or a Maimer Chazal, or Lahoven Inyan, asks questions, goes into a discussion, and then comes and concludes with answers. Abdel Yitzhak does not do that in his tale. Now, I can't, I can't speculate, you can't know, but it's very clear. He never does that. Which means he wanted to clearly distinguish that I'm writing is not a Maimer Chassidus from a Rebbe. Even the Chassidim that, wrote, that said and wrote my modem, Rabbi Hillel, Paracher, Rabbi Isaac Homler, there they do a Dibra HaMaschel. Rabbi didn't do that. So what is his contribution? We could say, and this is based on some of the different sikhs that Rebbe spoke about, Rabbi Yitzchuk is al derech hasod, like I mentioned before from the Haggadah. When you learn Kuntus and Yonah Shalteres you come away with realizing that Chassidus is Yechid. There's Pshat, Remez, Drusod, Nefesh Ruch Neshama Chaya, Sod is Chaya, Kabbalah is Chaya, and Yechida, which encompasses them all, as the Rebbe explains there. You can say that Rabbi Yitzchak is the Seid Shabi Yechida, because everything is called. There's, the, there's Nefesh Shabbe Nefesh, Ruach Shabbe Nefesh, there's the Nefesh Shabbe Yechida, the Pshat in, in Chsidis, there's the Ruach, the, the Nefesh, the Ruach in Yechida, the Rem is in, in, uh, in Chsidis. There's the Drusha Bechsidis, is Neshama Shabbat Yechida. And there's the Sod Shabbat Yechida. That Abdevitz was the Sod. And you see that in all this Torah, he speaks Chsidis, but he's always connecting it to the Sviris and to Kisvarizal and the Zoyar and other Sifri Kabbalah to ground it. Like he writes to the Rebbe in one of the letters that whenever you speak something, always connect it to the Chelek Hasod. Then it'll be kafter v'ferech. It'll be perfect. It'll be seamless and it'll be grounded in the chilek hasot shabetera, from where then comes into drush, into remez, all the way to pshat. That you could say is his contribution, which of course then is also part of chesidus, the sod within chesidus. Finally, let's do the essays. So we are the sixth annual 
My Life Chassidus Applied Essay and Creative Contest, 31st place winners. The essay in English is The Passionate Life, adding vitality and joy into your every day. Sarla Weinstein, student, MBCM, Muncie High, High, hometown, Spring Valley, New York. The essay in Hebrew for men, Tachus V'yuda Odom Ba'elem Ba'ashkofas Teres Chassidus. The purpose of a person in this world through the eyes, through the lens of Chassidus. Perspective of Chassidus. Meir Heber, student, Kfar Chabad, Israel. The essay in Hebrew, women, Lies Isha, to be a woman. Mrs. Penina Geld, seller, Givat Ayela, Givat Ayela in Israel. And finally, the creative inspiration versus internal motivation, a video by Pessy Napastic, age 21, Schlichus, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The, the English essay and the creative can be seen at chsidasupply.com. The Hebrew essay is at diralo, D-I-R-A-L-O.org. You can look at all these and all the previous ones that are all posted there. Again, a tribute to your Futsamah a people from all walks of life, taking chsidas, applying it to real issues in our contemporary lifetime. Okay, with that, we conclude episode 364 of My Life Chassidus Applied. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Everyone have a Nechamadika week, a comforting week, a Simchadika week. And may we march to the Gula Amitiz Vashlema, even still in these last days of Ov, and march into Elul and Tishrei with the Gula Amitiz Vashlema, Mashiach Tzidkenu. Everyone be well. Thank you. This program is brought to you by My Life Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapply.com slash donate.